Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Rebecca, a relationship coach who has kept a trigger journal for years. Enjoy. Hey, Rebecca, it's so lovely to have you here. Thank you for coming. Hello. As is my custom, I will introduce you to the audience by telling people who you are to me and how we've met. And then you can either add to that, <laughs> to make sure that people <laughs> understand who you are. And then maybe you can do the same with me, just to have that like personal kind of connection in the beginning. How does that sound? It sounds Great. wonderful. So Rebecca, I, I believe I first met you through Hanin who was my very first guest on this podcast. And we were both in, I think, the first ever version of the Sex Homework Society. And I think we had a breakout room session about something. I don't really remember what it was, but I, that's, what I, that's the story of you know, how I believe I met you for the first time. Later, I attended your... Um, sandbox session around relationships which i found very interesting and then well from there we, we we had a couple of interactions mostly about relating um because obviously mm. you are a relationship coach uh, that's what you do and that's also something that really interests me for this podcast to see how your relationship with yourself has informed your relationship with others or the other way around. I think that's going to be really interesting. And then there's one more thing that I want to point out that I found actually on your profile. Um, it's like one word with which you describe yourself, which is flaneuse. <laughs> and mm, I yes. like that because <laughs> I, I at some point have been called a flaneur by someone who I trust as well. And I wasn't quite sure if that was a compliment or not. <laughs> I looked up the meaning of that word. I was like, huh, yes, that, that kind of sounds accurate. So... I'd like to start there with you. Um, I recall one of our first conversations, a voice note exchange actually, was about that that very topic about the flaneur and the right. flaneurs. And I don't think we ever, <laughs> I don't think we ever concluded that conversation. <laughs> so here we are. Yes. <laughs> um, so I actually have a slightly different recollection of where mm. we first met. I believe it was in Search Inside Yourself. Google's mindful mindfulness and emotional intelligence program at some point last summer. I think it was there, but I'm not, it could have been sex homework society. My recollection is that we were in a group conversation and, or a group event. And I contacted you <laughs> because I loved the sound of your voice. <laughs> I found it so soothing to listen to you talk. <laughs> and, so I think I actually it may well have been sex homework society, but I, I I messaged you to say that I just loved listening to you talk 
essentially. Mm. And then we ended up in a separate voice note exchange about the flaneur and the flaneurs and and here we are. Beautiful. I, I love that. Well, mm. um, you could listen a bit to me talking today, but I hope to listen to you talking <laughs> mostly as well. So that's really cool. I don't remember the, the Google thing. I don't remember ever being in an event by Google. But then again, you know, oh, interesting. I, it must I, have been. I might have forgotten, really. Uh, that's so interesting, you know. Also, I want to say that mm. you are here in this podcast, thanks to Hanin, actually, who suggested that I invite yes. you for a conversation. And I'm very happy I did. Yes. Me too. Thank you for having me. Mm, so let's start with, well, the, the basic theme of this podcast, you know, relating to self. Mm. As a person, besides the fact that you're a relationship coach, what do you think of when you hear relating to self? What does that mean for you? <laughs> it's my reason for being, really. I... I think long before I was interested in relationships, what fascinated me was trying to understand myself. And part of the reason for that is that I, I grew up feeling fairly misunderstood, which I don't think is uncommon, but I, I did feel quite alien and therefore this need to, to understand myself. And it was the origins as well of feeling the need to understand other people became very important for me. So I suppose what I'm noticing as I talk is that I'm seeing relating to self as being very grounded in understanding the self at the moment. That was definitely the origin of it for me. It's like this deep quest for self-understanding. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to to ask. Um, mm. I wonder if that is still true for you now, like as you are today, um, with everything mm. that you've experienced so far. Do you still feel? Do you still feel that relating to self is mostly about understanding who you are? Yes and no. I don't feel that it's all of it. So my perspective has definitely evolved, and now it's it's much more active and co-creational rather than me just trying to understand. I think at first it was understanding and then it became fixing mm. in the, in the first stages. My relationship with myself was very much about fixing what I saw as being wrong or not enough. And then it evolved into acceptance and a combination of now acceptance or support and challenge and growth and how I can bring those two together and be attuned enough with myself to know when I need to shift from one strategy to the other, from, from allowing myself to be and allowing whatever it is to be enough and also striving and challenging myself for, for growth or for more, for expansion. Mm, beautiful. There's a lot of, lot of stuff to dig in there. I would mm. love to know a bit more about this first um, transition, I guess I could say, between mm. the just understanding and knowing who you are. And then you went to this phase of fixing, you said, like fixing what you mm. perceived as wrong or perhaps not enough. Um, how did that manifest? What, what did you do to fix yourself? Mm. <laughs> I was thinking you were going to ask me about how the transition happened and panicked for a moment because it was a very messy time and I'm very unclear on that. So what I, what I actually did, um, 
so the turning point was was a break really I feel that I had been investing a lot of energy into my outer self and my image not just appearance but just who I was seen to be by the outside world and the more I did that the less I was able to connect and nurture my real self my inner self and who I really am and eventually the distance between the two got so much that it snapped uh, and that snapping process came after several years of depression, really. So my first step was to go to therapy. Um, I, and it was very basic therapy at that time, just like a talk therapy or a CBT, something like that. And in that time, things got a lot worse before they got better it was sort of this this opening out which of course now like many years later I realize is what happens for everyone really when they truly open up in the course of therapy but yeah so the first the first step was therapy alongside that I started practicing meditation as well and I remember around that time I because I was so in such a state of overwhelm that I would do meditation and feel great while I was meditating because essentially I was I was finding this space where none of those thoughts were were overwhelming. It just slowed everything down, stretched everything out a lot, and I felt quite peaceful. But as soon as I came back into the world, it came back with a vengeance, just flooded back in and and it almost made it worse for a period of time. So that was that was the first phase. And I suppose unintentionally I was also doing a lot of journaling I wouldn't have called it that at the time but I I wrote a lot I read a lot I read so much information about the self and I've always loved psychology I studied psychology at university and have self-studied constantly since then but at those times what I was reading was to try and understand what was wrong with me or understand why people didn't like me or, or what I perceived as people not liking me. (laughs) It was, it was all about trying to understand what was wrong and what I could do about it to change it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I really like that you bring up therapy. I Mm. think for most people, I believe therapy to be a necessary step in in the process of, healing themselves and then coming to terms with who they are or maybe even knowing who they are in in general right um so thank you for for bringing that because i think you're the first person to actually talk about that Mm. um also for me therapy was something i did late in my life having grown up in circumstances where in general in that culture uh, i grew up in flanders in belgium Therapy mm-hmm. back then was seen as something for crazy people. You know, you, you go to yeah. a psychologist when you're crazy, basically. But other than that, there's just like no no need ever to go to a, a therapist. Yeah. So it, it was something that I only came to later in life. And I, I kind of regret that. I, I wish I'd found out about that earlier. But then um, let's go to the next step then, because then from this idea of understanding what was wrong and then fixing yourself through meditation and some unintentional journaling and therapy, then (laughs) you went to the stage of acceptance support and then challenging yourself for growth, which is a, it feels like a very different kind of chapter. Mm. Can you tell me some more about that? Mm. 
it's a very new chapter. So, um, so I think the, the fixing um, stage, firstly, is still very present. But secondly, it, 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 just, it just comes with a different energy now. But, so I'll come back to that. But the, that fixing stage and when it was coming from the energy of not being enough and needing to, needing to improve myself to be enough, that lasted probably six years where that was the primary way of relating with myself. After that, yeah, where it started to shift, how did it shift into more of an energy of acceptance? I Actually, it was as I brought more spirituality into my practice and into my life, which is something that I really resisted for a long time. There are so many things that are now part of my everyday vernacular and, and just I see signs of them all around my room as I, as I look around me. Uh, so things like, you know, crystals and tarot cards and thinking about my chakras and which ones are feeling overactive and all of this kind of thing. There was a time where I ruthlessly mocked the little hint of that that existed within me. And I think the acceptance is when that voice started gaining power and seeing almost the pain and the suffering that was in the other one and, and started to have this healing within my own system. Um, is, that, is that clear? Because it seems like a very <laughs> abstract thing and it's the first time that I'm saying it in that way, but it feels... Oh, that's interesting. Well, I, I like me. that. I, I think, you know, mm. coming to new insights while speaking about something mm. is definitely one of my preferred ways to gain knowledge about myself or others. Um, yeah, I guess that, that does make sense. I, I believe something like, you know, if you keep doing the same thing, you will get the same results and mm. it won't change much. So this shift from fixing yourself to acceptance automatically means that you did something different, right? You, you tried something yeah. else. And so it seems like you gave space to something that was already in you, but that was maybe repressed earlier. And then when you gave that space, acceptance started happening that's that's what i yeah. hear yeah it definitely started happening and now i think it's there is a a constant back and forth between you and something that i still hear regularly from the people i'm close to is that i'm really hard on myself mm. and <laughs> Yeah. So there's still a lot of, a lot of that energy of challenging myself and expecting myself to step up and expecting myself to grow. And my, my whole life is designed around challenges that feel valuable to me and feel important to me. But there are definitely times when I think you're choosing that path. You could just choose ease. You could, or, or, you know, you could just choose the easy path because I think in either path I can choose ease hmm. but I could have chosen and I still could choose an easier path do you believe that choosing the difficult path is still part of that idea of pushing yourself to fix yourself or do you think now you have a healthy relationship with that and you choose that very intentionally because you know that a more challenging path leads to more growth. I think both are true. Mm. I, and, and yeah, and the growth and the fixing and the, 
not feeling good enough have been so much a part of my story for so long that I wouldn't feel confident in saying that it's not still part of that energy. Um, if even if it doesn't have the the real emotional experience of that in the moment, it's almost like the habit that was created through that, right? Like the the paths, the choices that I see as being worthwhile are generally the ones that require me to grow and that will challenge me and that will really force me to step into my higher self and overcome challenges and and it's almost that seems like the virtuous choice that seems like the productive choice Mm. you mentioned something really interesting though that that made me think of something Mm. um this idea that this difficult path Mm. um, creates possibilities for you for growth obviously but it's also part of this energy that was there that was part of this like fixing kind of mindset and pushing yourself Mm. forward Mm. and i think that makes me think of something like i believe that everything that is present in us at an earlier age never really disappears Mm. but it becomes about transformation it's about how can i use those things those energies those patterns those habits in a way that serve me instead of hinder me right and I think I've definitely experienced that in my life as well, where there, there are some things that used to bother me um, in the way I acted, but then just mm. changing the, the frame around them and then using them for, for good. And in this case, I think in your, it's very clear with you that you say, okay, I'm pushing myself, but at the same time, now it kind of drives a healthy kind of growth. So I think that's a very beautiful way of like almost transmuting whatever is there that bothers you into something that serves you. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I'm curious to know if there is a, an example for you that comes to mind from your own existence. What, what are some of those mm, mutations? I think there's many actually, but the, the one that comes mm. to mind now is definitely related to my inner critic. You know, mm. this, this idea of never being good enough. I've, I've always been very driven by perfectionism, or at least in the past wanting everything that I make or bring into the world to be really good and really precise. You know, I'm, I'm very strict with with things that I make, (laughs) or at least I I used to be. And I think nowadays, obviously that trait is still in me, but I use it for good in a sense that now I use it as a tool. I know when is the time to use it and when is the time to just let go. So it doesn't yeah. create stress anymore in my life. I don't feel I'm not good enough, but I know that if I want to, I can examine certain things in a certain way that makes me ideally suited to make things better compared to some other people. Yes. Yes, there's this this spaciousness in that that removes it from being an instinctive or impulsive reaction and makes it something you can use with discernment and decide when it has value to you and to the situation rather than being controlled by it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's key in, in many of our transformations that we go through, not just for, you know, these kind of things we can use as tools, but also in general, um, our shadows or our, painful voices inside of ourselves that, you know, got stuck there because of how we grew up or or our early experiences. 
um, I think they never really disappear. The key is to make space for them, to make friends with them, potentially to use them if they are usable for something. And otherwise, if they're not usable, then to just kind of like accept them as they are and and still love them in some way. And I think that's a, that's a big part of the work. Yeah, acceptance absolutely is the word that was coming to mind as I was listening to you. And it does feel like perhaps the most challenging part of the work. Like one of the things I find really difficult is to see something, to notice something in myself, to notice a trait or a pattern or a behavior that I can see holding me back from something I desire in in some way. And then having the the choice to either work on that thing and go in and really do the work or to accept it as it is. And a lot of the time what I'm noticing is that for now, I need to accept it because there's there's an endless to-do list of possibilities that you can experiment with or work on or explore. And it's not possible to do all of them all the time. And almost one of the challenges that I have with awareness is when I can see it clearly and I can see how it's impacting me, it's so hard for me to just be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'll just leave it for now. So, so hard to just allow it to be as it is because of this not good enough story essentially. Yeah. It's, it's a practice, you know, like, mm. like most of relating to self for me, all of the things we do are practices. We can never stop. We never have arrived. It's yeah. always just a phase and we're always dealing with these things. But what you yeah. said reminded me of something I spoke about with Sonia in the previous episode. And she mentioned something that was new, um, in the whole concept of relating to self as well for me. Well, and she, she put a lot of emphasis on using other people for discovering those kind of traits because you, you mentioned mm. something like, you know, sometimes it's difficult to see the patterns in yourself and grow that awareness. And I guess Sonia's point was that, yeah, that's why I need a group of people around me who I trust, who can reflect these kind of things to me so I can move into them more quickly. And I think that was a really interesting point. So I wonder if you have something similar, do, do you have, and I guess we're moving into the like second stage of this conversation mm. now you know, your, your work as a relationship therapist obviously brings you into a place where you think about relating to others all the time. So I wonder, do you use a certain framework of relating to others in your life to improve your own relationship with yourself? So it, it's a fascinating area for me. It, it's essentially the entire premise of my work that the the reason I don't focus on, say, romantic relationships or co-founder relationships or anything like that, I focus on an individual's relationship with others, all of the other people in their life. And I do that because relationships are a mirror and the most the most prominent way for us to actually be able to meet ourselves is through relationship with others. So all of my work really is about the relational self and what you can learn about yourself through those relationships. I'm, I've lost the thread of the, the question, hmm. actually. Well, my, but, the, the core yeah. of my question was, do you have specific practices in relating to others that help you navigate mm. that relationship to yourself? Like, do you use them as a mirror or what else is there for you? I... 
my primary one is looking at triggers. So I have a trigger journal, basically, which is a practice that I started through therapy. And also while I'm saying the word therapy, I want to add that I'm a relationship coach, but not a therapist. Um, so this practice essentially is anytime I'm triggered, which is pretty much always by another person, I will make a note of what happened, um, what feelings it's bringing up in me and what memories that brings up to do with relationships that I have had in my past. And generally it comes back to relationships from, from childhood with my parents or, um, my brother, other people that I was close to at that time. So that, that's my core practice. It's like if, if a trigger arises, try to understand what's related to the present situation and what's related to the experiences and the relationships of your past. I'm super fascinated by this. I think this is, this is brilliant. This idea of a trigger mm. journal. I've never heard of that. Mm. It's really something that kind of like resonates with me. I'm like, Hmm, that's something I want to try. <laughs> so I'm really curious about this practice. Um, so when you have this journal with all these triggers where you exa examine what's part of the past and what's now, mm. what do you do with them then? It's a cathartic process in and of itself. So like with any practice of mindfulness, simply creating this space where you're observing rather than reacting immediately often diffuses the situation. But I, what I will generally notice is that the reaction I was having may have been partly because of a need that wasn't met in, in the present situation, but the emotion that I'm experiencing is often because of a past situation. So when I can create the space, I'll generally go back and then actually feel the emotions of that past, uh, that past experience and let them out. It will often go through, you know, anger and frustration into sadness and hurt and sit with myself, hold myself quite literally hold myself during that time so that I can just let the tears out, cry it out. And once that has, once that emotion has left my system, I can check in with myself about what change I'm wanting to make, if at all, like it's not necessarily a change, but what, what I'm wanting to happen in the present situation. Um, which could mean having a conversation with another person who was involved or, going and doing an activity with myself or making a commitment to myself about a way that I'll um, react in future or something like this. But it's, mm. it needs to have the emotional release before I can go into thinking about what the change I really want is. Mm, I love how you say like going to do something with myself. <laughs> I like mm. that as a, as a, from the perspective of relating to self, that kind of like makes sense. I'm really curious about this, this idea of triggers to, as a main practice to explore, you know, how you relate mm. to yourself with others. Something I found really difficult in the past, and I guess still do, is navigating the balance between being triggered in order to understand what's going on but also not being triggered too much so that you don't understand what's going on at all anymore. So something that has been difficult is finding the, let's say the right amount of triggering situations, not too much, not too little. Yeah. How do you navigate that? I, well, I, I, the question itself intrigues me to be honest, because it's always a question that just doesn't 
doesn't translate into my experience of the world because I guess what I'm hearing in it is that you're saying I'm choosing how and when to be triggered and that <laughs> that for me it just makes me stop and think oh yeah I suppose in in some way we choose it but for me it often doesn't feel like a choice right I don't feel like I have a choice in how much something triggers okay let me let yeah. me rephrase that then to, to make mm. clear what I mean is like something like okay you're in a relationship and I mean that in the broadest possible sense with yeah. someone right you have a relationship with someone yeah some of their behavior is triggering for you so you feel oh I'm triggered maybe you write it down in your trigger journal you you go through that process of feeling the emotions of the past deciding what you want in the now and then basically you have a choice right you can either talk to that person and see if they change their behavior to see if you're less triggered or mm -hmm. they will not change their behavior and you will still be triggered by the same behavior or not, depending on how you move through those emotions. But then the question is more like, when do you decide to remove yourself from a relationship in which you are perpetually mm. triggered by mm. maybe the same, same behavior or maybe by different behaviors? Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's super interesting. So, not a situation, in all honesty, that I feel I've had to experience very often. Like I haven't had repeating trigger. If, if a trigger um, or a situation where I've been triggered and that person's behavior will consistently trigger me, if, if I'm in that situation, I will generally leave the situation because um, I don't see any value in it. If, if the trigger is something that I can transmute within myself, then I do that transmuting and then it stops triggering me. It might be marginally annoying, but like everyone has some marginally annoying traits and you decide whether you're happy with them to be in your life or not. Um, but I think the, the measure that I use is a concept from Brene Brown about compassion. Mm. And I would see in this situation the opposite of compassion as being resentment. So if I notice that I am starting to form resentment within a relationship and my signs for that will often be, um, it could just be like the internal feeling, but what I will notice outwardly is that I'm starting to get a bit snappy and bitter and judgmental and just exhibiting these qualities with a person that I don't admire in myself. <laughs> I don't like seeing myself interacting with someone in that way. And now I'm very aware of that. I didn't used to be so aware of it, but now if I do it, I'm like, oof, that didn't, that didn't feel good for me to speak to them in that way. So at that point, I have a, a choice point, essentially, where I'm like, okay, there's resentment. You can decide to change something in the situation or, ch or sit with the resentment forever, which is obviously not a desirable choice. And then when I'm looking at changing the situation to um, release the resentment, it's either I'm releasing resentment from the past, which enables me to be more present and compassionate in the present moment, or I'm deciding there's something consistently happening in this person's behavior that is just building and building and building the resentment, at which point I need to create more distance from them. And this concept about compassion comes from Brene Brown. She's talking about boundaries as being the distance that you need to hold with someone in order to be able to experience compassion. So in essence, we are 
in our most peaceful and harmonious state when we're feeling compassion for everyone, including ourselves. But you can't feel compassion for someone when they're actively hurting you <laughs> and you're choosing to stay in a situation where they're actively hurting you, right? So if you imagine a simple example of like someone waving their arms around and you're standing right in front of them, so you keep being hit by them waving their arms around, you can't just be like, oh, well, you know, they just have their have their traumas so they're waving their arms around it you have to step backwards and then you're like ow that hurt but they're obviously doing it because they have their traumas and I can feel compassion for that <laughs> so it's like creating the distance that you need with a person in order to be building compassion rather than building resentment beautiful I love it I love that framework thank you Rebecca yeah I guess what happened with me sometimes in the past is that in those moments when I started feeling resentment I kind of told myself being triggered in a situation is meaningful and important because it means there's something in me that I haven't resolved yet. So let's stay here in order to do that work. But then because you're constantly getting hit by the waving arms, as you say, there isn't much space to work on yourself because that's sort of situation that is not conductive to doing inner work. So I like this, yeah. this, uh, this concept of taking enough distance in order to be able to feel compassion. That, that sounds beautiful to me. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. Hmm. I think there's also the important consideration in there of having compassion for yourself. <laughs> it's like, am I, am I being kind to myself by staying in this situation? Yes, absolutely. I agree. But there again, you know, sometimes it's difficult to find the balance between being kind to yourself in the sense that you want to remove yourself from situations that are triggering and then at the same time having this desire to grow and having the desire to work through things mm. and it's not always as clear-cut as it sounds for me to understand no. which one's which <laughs> no exactly yeah. I, it reminds me of the concept um are you familiar with radical candor yes i am as a concept fascinating concept yeah so uh, without going into the whole framework, it's kind of the difference for me between this ruinous empathy, where you're having so much care for the emotional experience in the present moment that you end up kind of like padding yourself and like wrapping someone in bubble wrap, basically wrapping yourself in bubble wrap, so that you're not triggered, you're never hurt, you're never uncomfortable. Because um, all you want to do is just be kind, kind in quotation marks to yourself. When actually sometimes the kindest thing you can do is to have those difficult conversations with yourself and to be honest about whether something is really working for you or not. And, you know, like those, those days where you know the best thing for you is to get outside and go for a walk, but all you want to do is lie in bed under the covers feeling sorry for yourself it's like no the most loving thing that I can do for myself right now is to do the thing I don't want to do mm. because it's being loving for my in that sense but it's being loving for my loving to my highest self and being loving to my long-term well-being rather than just being ruinously empathetic to my present state and my present desires Yes. This, this concept of the future self has popped up in, in the podcast a couple of times. Mm. Um, you know, some people find it challenging to relate to self at the same time in the now and for the future self, which is like doing the things that you know will serve you in the long term, but maybe are difficult right now, like studying or 
following a certain diet or exercising or all these things that sometimes you just don't feel like right now, but you know that having that habit and a consistency will bring you many good things in the future. How do you navigate that for yourself? I find it incredibly challenging and it's something that I only in the past year really have been consciously attempting to engage with. So the ideas of um, dedication and discipline are two that I'm really trying to bring into just into my life, actually, <laughs> that quite simply, they're, the, they're concepts that I had really rejected. Um, and I think it's because I was looking at them in a very, in a very black and white way. I was seeing it as only being possible to do those while being in a very harsh, um, structured, the, the masculine energy of being very consistent and, I see myself as being fundamentally inconsistent, like in my energy, I map out my hormone levels for the entire month. And every single day, there's a different combination of hormones in my system. Of course, I feel fundamentally different every day, but then it's like, how can I, how can I have dedication and commitment and be disciplined with myself while at the same time, giving myself the the fluidity and the space that I need to feel myself and to feel in my own power really. And I think this is sort of avoiding the question in some way, because ultimately I don't know the, I don't know the practical answer of, of how I do that in my life. It's this constant negotiation (laughs) really between the two. Um, and I haven't found a, a way of reconciling the two energies that really clicks but it's my exploration at the moment of how can I see the two as being in support of each other rather than in competition Mm, I like that well I think for me one of the key concepts that has helped me to be more consistent with my practices is again compassion this idea that Mm. if I really don't want to for whatever reason I don't have to it's my own choice right so Sometimes whatever practice I engage in, I will skip a day because I feel that's truly what I need in that moment. And then I practice compassion and I'm like, you know, Hey, Mm. I'm human. Yes, I'm inconsistent. And some days I will just not be up to whatever it is that I decided is good for me in the long term, in the long run and allowing myself Mm. that space to be compassionate and to sometimes not do things actually helps me showing up for the practice every day. Because it's kind of like a safety net, mm. you know, it's there. And because it's there, the practice itself yeah. becomes easier. Yeah, I can see that. I, I do, I find it easier to be more allowing when it comes to not having discipline. And I'm, I'm thinking this throughout loud, so it may be messy, but but I wonder if in some ways I can allow myself to be disciplined <laughs> mm. and allow myself to be committed and consistent. And it, seem, it seems like it's always more forgiving in one way than in the other. And in a sense, that makes sense because the energy, the energy of the feminine is much more allowing and forgiving and 
fluid and receptive. And so it makes sense that the fluidity and the flexibility would be bundled in with that energy. But I, I feel like I'm much more willing to kind of say like, oh, yeah, well, my my restful, my yin energy wants to be like free and to not have to do things right now than to sit, than for it to be accepting in the other way that's like, well, my masculine energy wants things to be super fired up and structured and organized right now. And I give a lot more space for flexibility in one direction than the other. Yeah, well, for me, this also taps into the whole question of trust, right? And especially this idea of trust in yourself, mm. which I think is a very important aspect mm. of relating to self. And I think if you don't show a certain consistency with yourself when it comes to honoring the decisions you've made and the commitments you've made to yourself, then you will kind of lose trust in yourself. You, you're not sure anymore that you will show up when you decide something because in the past you have a bad track record. And so I think for me, that's another important thing that I keep in mind. I know that if I don't show up, it's not just the one practice that will suffer. It's also my trust in myself for having the ability to show up at all. And I highly yeah. value that trust in myself. <laughs> so that's important to me. So I show up for it, you know. Yeah, this resonates a lot. How did you, how did you get to that point <laughs> of realizing yeah. it, of being able to have the integrity to just stand for that and be like, yeah, I'm building trust in myself. That's what I'm here for. I think it's two things. Um, one, it's a decision I made. In the sense that, you know, I, I think, I believe that's important. And I believe that is something that I should stand for. Integrity is important because, and that's a bit of a reaction perhaps even against something. Like I perceive many people in the world to not have that, including many people from my past situation I grew up in. Integrity was a problem. And so for, my, for myself, for my view of the world, that became important to me. So I cultivated mm. that. And on the other hand, I think a big part of it is just, Taking small steps that get you there, having small things you commit to that you show up for shows you that you have the ability to do so. And then you can slowly just make those bigger. And so I think it would be completely foolish to say something like, for the next year, I will do yoga every single day. Like that's the kind of commitment I know that I can't make because if I make that commitment, I will yeah. surely break it and it will decrease my trust. So understanding the mm. kind of commitments you can actually make and the kind of decisions you are able to make and then sticking to those is mm -hmm. is the the engine of building trust with yourself and that yes, worked well for me this, yeah this super important point around boundaries even boundaries with yourself and being able to know what is something you can say yes to and what is something you can say no to because if you keep saying yes to things that are going beyond your boundary then you're going to let yourself down or let another person down in um, a relating with others situation yeah, exactly but so I think it's, it's crucial i think letting yourself down is way worse Yes. Because you only have one relationship with yourself and it's always going to be there. Uh, other yeah. people, And you know. it affects how you show up in everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Like it's not just, uh, you know, how you 
feel when you're doing your self-care practices like how you trust yourself shows up in your relationships with everyone else it shows up in how trustworthy you are with other people because if you trust yourself you see yourself as trustworthy if you don't trust yourself you see yourself as inherently trustworthy and it enables it enables more transgression with other people's trust and then it affects the workplace and it just it will show up everywhere yeah and i would even say that people who have low trust in themselves very often also have trouble trusting others because you know that's that's how they perceive the world so <laughs> yeah it's like people are inherently trustworthy like i've seen inside a person and i know it can't be trusted and therefore <laughs> all you trusted exactly yeah rebecca we're we're nearing the end of this uh, conversation mm. i find this absolutely fascinating that, that we came to this idea okay. of trust i think that's one of my like core um beliefs around relating to self And so I Mm -hmm. I very much like that. Before we part ways, um, there's two things I still want to ask you. The first one is a bit of a um, weird question, perhaps, that I like asking. Fabulous. Um, And the question is very simple. What would have been the one question that I didn't ask that you would have loved to answer? I think there is, actually, I think we touched on it, but there, there's something in the different, the different sides of self-love, sort of what, what does, what does it mean to be loving to yourself? Mm -hmm. I suppose is the question. Yes. I think that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. And as much as I would love to go into it, I'm not going to do it because that will take <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> it's a whole other episode. It's a whole other episode. Yeah. You can come back. That will be awesome. Oh, happily. Yeah, wonderful. And then my last question is basically, do you have anything that you want to share with the audience? Um, can they follow you somewhere? Do you have something they can read or something to offer? What is yeah. it that you want to share? So I'm working on a book actually about different models for understanding how we relate with ourselves and with each other and and still very much a work in progress but you can follow the progress of that book and the rest of my work as well um, mainly on instagram at the moment at the relationship designer and also sign up for my newsletter where i send weekly insights into relationships all different kinds of relationships. So with the self, with family, with partners, with colleagues. And you can sign up to that at therelationshipdesigner.com. And that is where I exist on the internet at the moment. Beautiful. I will make sure to post both of these links also in the description of the podcast so people can easily find them. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This was awesome. Um, I look forward to having you again. Me too. I've loved this conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Take care. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.